going to be flexible tonight, all right? All right. Have we turned me down a little bit? I don't want to blow you up. So to despise this call to holiness is to despise God, not, not man. We are taught, verse 9, of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it to all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. No matter how much you love the brothers and the sisters that are part of the body that you are connected to, there is always more and more that you could do. And so Paul tells them in verse 11 that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So we are to be quiet. We are to do our business. We are to work with our own hands. And not only is that not just an Old Testament concept, that goes a new man's everyone in the Thessalonica church work with your own hands. Why? That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. It seems perhaps uh, not all that revelatory, but if you lack, there's a decent chance that there's more work you could do. I'll allow that to sink in for a moment. As we bring the microphone down just a smidge more. Because it's really loud up here. I don't know about out there. Let's go to Thessalonians chapter, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. So now, Paul has written his first letter. And as you read the second letter, it almost seems like the problem was not resolved. We are left with one side of the conversation as we are with all of the epistles, and so uh, we have to try to fill in the blank a little bit, but based on context clues and based on the discussion from the first letter and the second letter, it, it seems that this issue of, uh, of those in the, the church in Thessalonica that are refusing to work has not completely resolved, and so Paul continues to deal with it in his second letter. He says this in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. It's a pretty strong verse. For, ye, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. That word disorderly means to be or act irregular or to be insubordinate. Now watch what he says in verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Paul's saying that, look, while we were in this city and while we were ministering to you, we gave you an example of hard work. Not because we didn't have the right as an apostle to be fed from the, the ministry of the word. Paul makes that very case in the book of Corinthians. He lays out the case that he that, he that ministers in the word should eat 
out of the word, should be cared for out of the word. But Paul was trying to lay an example to them. And so he, he, he points back to the time that he was with them and said, look, when we were with you, we gave you the example of hard work. And then Paul gets very direct. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Everybody say amen. If you don't work, you don't eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. Presumably, there were those that were looking for the day of the Lord to come, the, the, the coming again of Jesus Christ. And in their desperate pursuit and waiting of that, they chose to stop working and wait for Jesus to come. And Paul was telling them, no, that's not what you are supposed to do. That's not the strategy which you are supposed to entail. Now, I know that that might sound nice, but the result is that the church was bearing the weight of able-bodied people that refused to work. And not only did they refuse to work, in their idleness, they were becoming busybodies. So Paul says, now, then are, or now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. Everybody say quietness. We're going to come back to quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So we see from these portions of Scripture that work in balance is good for humanity. Work was designed by God for us. Humanity was designed to produce we were designed to create. We were not designed to lay in a hammock between palm trees on a beach for our entire lives and just sip coconut milk and enjoy the sunlight. Now, you can, you should have periods of time where you lay in a hammock and you enjoy the sunlight and for some reason you sip coconut milk. But that cannot be the focus of your existence. Paul begins to point out an issue. The lack of work was a concern for Paul. Why? Because they began to be busy bodies. It's a strange word, I know. They're busy, but they're not working. It's weird how that works out. I don't, I don't know that I've ever met somebody who thinks themselves so busy as the chronically unemployed. Hey, do you want to get together? Oh, man. My schedule's packed. What? We're, we're, you know, we're, we got a work day at the church. Oh, man, I, I'm booked up tight. I'm booked up tight. Phone call, that text message, that bit of gossip to stick their nose in somebody else's business. That's what Paul's talking about. Work is going to keep us from being idle, and, and sweet is the rest of a working man. There's nothing like at the end of a day having, having done a job well to lay back in your bed, to eat that simple meal that you have labored for, and then to lay your head on a pillow. That is what man was designed to do. Among other things, of course, 
worshiping the Lord, all right? You, you understand that. We were designed to worship the Lord. Work is another facet of our existence. All right. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. If you thought Paul was direct to the church in Thessalonica, listen how, to how Paul speaks to his protege, Timothy. Ministers can be a little bit more direct with younger ministers under them. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now that's, that's a pretty direct portion of Scripture. It's a pretty direct passage. In its strict context, this passage is discussing the care of widows and, and parents. And this, this would be a good discussion for us to have on another day, the care of, of family. But ultimately, the principle bears through. Provision is to be made for your family. If it's inconceivable for you to deny the faith and be worse than an infidel, then Paul's saying it's inconceivable to God for you to choose not to provide for your family. God's purpose was for the family unit to provide for itself through labor. Yes, God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, but he provides for us through work. Do not sit at home in your lazy boy and, and pray 19 hours a day and wonder why God hasn't provided for you when your work boots are gathering dust in the corner. God has designed you to work, to produce, to create, and through that mechanism, he will provide for you. All right. So now we're going to go to, uh, we're going to end up in Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, but first we need, to, we need to talk about something from 1 Timothy chapter 1 uh, and verse 10. Because in Ephesians and in Colossians, when we read the word servants in the King James Version, it's, it's, it's usually rendered as slave in the NLT, the NIV, other, other versions of Scripture, other translations. Um, the Bible does not give tacit support to slavery. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 says the law was made. Verse 9 says the law was made and begins to list. And in verse 10 he says this. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That word man stealer is an enslaver. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's like manslaughter. Uh, it, it, it clearly defines what it is. Man-stealer is somebody that would take a person by force, separate them from where they are, and sell them into slavery. The law was made against that. You can find example in the Old Testament law where God specifically condemns snatching somebody and selling them into slavery. Old Testament slavery would be far more similar to indentured servitude among the children of Israel. Uh, the, the slave was only to serve for seven years. 
uh, and he was to be free to go out at the end of seven years. In fact, the reason that most Hebrews would become a servant or a slave is not because they were stole and sold, but because they voluntarily or somewhat involuntarily entered in as a result of poverty and debt that they could not pay. And so uh, God created a system where somebody could pay off their debt by serving under a master. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking? Okay. In the New Testament, we see the epistles talk about servants and slaves seemingly without concern for the status of these servants and slaves. This was the culture that they lived in at large. All right. This 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 was the world they lived in at large. Slavery was a real thing in the first century church and around the first century church. But can we can we just establish this? The gospel is far more concerned about our status as slaves to sin than as slaves in an economic system. And so Jesus came not just to set us free from an economic system, but to set us free from the eternal effects of sin. It is far more important that you be delivered from sin and set free from sin than it is for you to be delivered from slavery. Now, we live in the 21st century in America where there is not legal slavery, though there are forms of slavery that still exist all around the world today, and God is not pleased with it. But you cannot be a slave to sin and go to heaven. And so the Bible is far more concerned about dealing with our condition in bondage to sin than it is in our, in our economic state or our social state. Paul, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Everybody, anybody in here a slave in the social setting? You're all free men and free women. I've got news for you. You are now purchased with a price, verse 23, to be Christ's servant. If you'll let me go even further, you're purchased to be Christ's slave. We are all free, but he purchased us. And so we're not called to be servants of men. We are now called to be slaves of Jesus Christ. He purchased me with a price of his own blood. And so Paul says, brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Again, the Bible is not saying slavery is okay It's saying that there's a far more important issue that you need to deal with, which is your eternal salvation. Amen. Okay, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, or 6 rather, and verse 5. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. We're going to compare and contrast these portions of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling... In singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. There's that phrase again. Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. 
Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. All right, let's flip over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22, and we're going to take a look at this. It's a parallel portion of Scripture. As Paul writes to another church, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. All right, so these parallel passages have these similar flows of thought, and indeed they use uh, much of the same language. One theme that appears in both of them is obedience. Have you ever thought it is pleasing to God when you obey your supervisor? I believe that God will sometimes not put someone in charge, will not advance somebody in an earthly career because they have not shown themselves able to follow These are masters according to the flesh, and we'll touch on this a little bit more in a moment, but this is only a fleshly master. It's not our eternal master. It's not the master of our soul. This is a fleshly master. Our self-definition need not derive from what we do. You do not have to obtain your source of identity from your job. If your lot in life is to flip burgers, you do not have to feel any shame about that as long as you're doing it heartily as unto the Lord. Because for us to derive our identity from what we do is to open us to pride it's to open us to arrogance, it's to allow us to be puffed up, or it's to allow us to sink back into the self-protecting pride and the self-protection where we don't want to tell anybody what we do for a living because we're embarrassed of it. Your first identity has always been and will always be child of God in every circumstance, in everything. It's just culture of this world that that's what we ask each other. It's, it's what guys do. You get together. Ladies, they'll make it a few questions further. You know, they'll ask about kids. They'll ask about homes. But guys, the first question is, you know, hi, how are you? My name's Jared. Your name? Oh, it's Nate. Okay. Hey, what do you do? That's the first question. And that's because we, uh, we derive our identity. We derive who we are by what we do. Unless we are comfortable in our relationship and in our identity as children of God, we will always risk being open to pride about our job or protecting in pride our job. These are just masters according to the flesh. Both passages tell us to have singleness of heart. 
We are not to go to work with divided motives. Don't abuse your employer's time. Quitting. Has anybody ever heard the term quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is when you keep going to work and you keep working just enough for them to keep paying you as you look for another job or work the other job that you were doing both of, doing both of during the COVID era on Zoom. It's dishonest and it's stealing. While you're at your place of employment, they deserve your focus. They deserve your singleness of heart. As a practical example, I'll share a a, a personal thing. I have made it a, a personal matter of discipline to not check the news or social media between 9 and 5. Now, I'm employed by the church, which I am incredibly grateful for, but because I want to be focused and I want to be disciplined and because it's very easily, you can very easily go down that hole of ravenously clicking the news, I I do not check it between the hours of 9 and 5 because I want to give my focus to the church. I want to give my focus to my employer. I want to give my focus to the kingdom of God and be invested in what I'm doing. Does that make sense? I've heard somebody will make a statement similar to, well, you know, I'm doing $20 an hour worth of work in reference to their wage. Anybody ever heard that? Well, I'm working $12 an hour. For you to merely replace your employment wage for your employer is not cutting it. It is costing them significantly more than that to employ you regardless of what you make per hour. And they need to make money based on your performance. It's not singleness of heart and it's not a good example for us to shirk in the workplace. We still doing all right. Okay. If it gets really uncomfortable, just throw something at your neighbor. It's not going to help, but it'll lighten the mood. Man, where's that guy that we were watching the last couple of weeks? He was a lot funnier. All right, I want to make sure that we're doing okay because we're going to get, it's going to get a little stiff for a moment here. Both passages say this, not with eye service as men pleasers. The disciple of Jesus Christ shouldn't need much in the way of supervising. You ought to be the most trustworthy employee in the business because you're a Christian. You call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to be trustworthy, you ought to be hardworking. It's not a case of that that child that you know mom and and son are having an issue and and they're they're arguing about stand up sit down stand up sit down and finally she gets the kid to sit down but the kid pipes up and says right in in flesh I'm sitting down but inside I'm standing up. It's not a case of of just meeting the standard when the boss is there. We've all been at a workplace and we know how everything switches a little bit when the boss is on the floor. Or if you work in healthcare, when JCO comes, the, the joint commission that comes to evaluate all healthcare facilities, everything changes when the boss walks onto the floor. Or when the foreman walks onto the job site. Or when the company owner walks onto the job site. But I, can I tell you, though they are present in body, 
nothing has changed. In expectation from heaven, we are to be working not with eye service, not just to please them when the boss is there, but we are to be working as if they are always there, as if they are always paying attention. I I say it again, the disciple of Jesus Christ should not need much supervising in the workplace. They should be able to trust you to faithfully work diligently and to turn out a quality product, whether you're making a widget or flipping a burger or pulling a tooth, you should be entrusted to to turn out quality product without somebody having to watch over you. All right. They both go on, both passages to say, as to the Lord. I've got a question for you. If your boss or owner of the company was Jesus Christ in the flesh, let's pull worship out of this, okay? Yes, you would behave differently when you went to work because if I open the door to punch in and I see Jesus, I'm going to respond a little bit differently, okay? Let's remove worship from the equation. But if your boss was Jesus Christ in the flesh, would you behave any differently at work tomorrow? Stop and consider this. If you showed up tomorrow and you punched the clock and you went to find your task for the day and you received your task from Jesus Christ himself, would you act differently at work tomorrow than you acted today? If the answer is yes, then we have missed the passage and we're disobeying the word of God. Because every day that I walk into that place of employment, I am serving Jesus Christ. Not to a man, not with eye service as a man pleaser, but as unto the Lord doing service to God from my heart. And so it does not matter if my boss is rude or crude. I'm not even working for him. I'm working for him. Regardless of whatever state or what, regardless of whatever business I find myself in. You're 75 and you're itching for that day when you can finally retire. There is no boss but Jesus Christ. We're all working for him. You wouldn't complain if Jesus was your boss. So stop working for them and start working for him. Better yet, just stop complaining about work. If the water cooler talk or shop talk is always negative, it's always running down the employer, you ought not be found to be part of it. Well, now, that's a busybody, not engaging with with hands in labor. That's a busybody. Running down your employer is not, that, that, that's eye service. You, 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 oh, oh, and then they come over and you're going to get back to work, but you're going to go to the, work, the, the water cooler and run them down? That's eye service. You're a man pleaser. You're not working as to the Lord. You're not doing it for Jesus Christ. If every boss or every coworker is lazy or sloppy or dumber than you, this doesn't point to them. It points to you. It's not an issue of their intelligence. It's an issue of your pride and submission. I've had some that were and are legitimately smarter than me, better leaders, And I've had some bosses that were not. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
All right. If you are actually smarter than your boss, please do for them the same thing you do when you're a smarter or a better leader than your pastor. Pray for them and then choose the path of willful, cheerful submission to somebody that God has placed in a position of authority over your life. Do not join in the water cooler talk running down your boss and how crazy they are, but go home, bend your knee next to your bed and say, God, I'm having a hard time at work, uh, but I choose to submit. I pray that you would help my boss to be efficient, to be intelligent. I pray, start praying blessing over your place place of employment instead of coming home and throwing it under the bus and watch what God will do not just in your life but in that workplace the psalmist says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west but it's God that sets up and God that takes down that is not limited just to spiritual leadership by the way you are an ambassador to non-believers Everywhere that you go, everyone that you interact with, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You have a ministry of reconciliation that has been given to you. Now, you may never get to preach to your employer. You may never get to sit down and open the Bible study chart with them and begin to walk them through the plan of salvation. I hope you do. I hope that's your goal. I hope it's your goal to win your employer to the Lord. But even if you never get that opportunity for a formal Bible study or to begin to expound on what you believe, every day you have an opportunity for your life to witness Jesus Christ to your employer. A bad attitude when you're at work, poor performance, insubordination, I don't want what you're selling. It's hard to tell somebody, it's hard to convince somebody that the joy of the Lord is your strength when they've never seen you happy at work. It's real hard for you to witness to your boss when you always show up late, you call in sick all the time, and you're never there and your work is declining. But then you're going to tell your boss about Jesus and how amazing things he's done in your life. You're creating a stumbling block for somebody to hear about Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. But you can press and you can try and you can labor to be the best employee, the best ambassador in that workplace that you possibly can. Look, if, if, if you're going to always have a bad attitude and always frown and always be complaining and always be griping or always be late, please don't tell them that you go to the Jesus Church. Now, don't lie to them. If they ask you, tell them, okay? But don't show up late five days in a row wearing a Jesus Church beanie, okay? That, that's, not, that's not what we're trying to be. That's not what the Bible is calling us to be. Disciples of Jesus Christ will always be working in the, in the workplace to bring about un, unity, not disunity or division. In the workplace, is your presence bringing unity or are you furthering division? I want to read those last two passages again, or those last two verses of each passage again, knowing that 
Whatsoever good thing, this is from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8, any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Let's flip again to Colossians. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master. Although it definitely feels like that on some Fridays. And if you get paid on the same Friday that my, my family does, you get three paychecks this month. Uh, and that's really exciting. Okay, maybe you don't get excited about paychecks. Okay, fine. I'm excited. Y- y'all are holier or something. The reward is not the paycheck. The reward is not the finance. Jesus will always handle the finances. If you want it to be a reward, it will be a reward. But if you choose to follow the biblical path, your reward will be Jesus Christ. So don't gripe about your pay. When John the Baptist is talking to soldiers early in the Gospels, he tells them, look, stop complaining about your pay. Now, the context is a little bit different, yes. But you agreed to those wages. So work for them. If you want more, go get a different job. Everybody doing all right? Okay. You do good, you get a reward. Again, I'm blessed to serve the Jesus Church in a, in a full focus capacity with a very small amount of time given to the Brown Clinic. But when I walk into that clinic, I don't serve the Brown Clinic. I serve Jesus Christ. And I don't receive a reward from them. I receive my reward from Jesus Christ. Why? Because my goal, my effort is to try with everything in me not to be working just, and I've got friends. I've, I've, made, I've nurtured friendships with my coworkers. I've nurtured relationships with the doctors. There are some doctors that I don't really get along with on a personal level, and they don't really like me on a personal level, but it's okay because when I go into there, even if I'm working with them and they're difficult to work with, which, by the way, doctors can be very difficult to work with, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him. And my reward will come from him when I do it with the right attitude and a right heart. And at the end of the day, there's been a witness of somebody that's filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ working hard and being trustworthy and being faithful in their employment. In Colossians, he goes a step further and says, look, if you do wrong, you'll get the earned reward from that too. For God is not a respecter of persons. There's not only a reward if you're a good employee. There's also a reward if you're a poor employee. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven. We won't spend as much time on the employer aspect of it because there are few of those in, in this room, but... A disciple of Jesus Christ should be the fairest person to work for. I didn't say the highest paying, though there should be a fair wage. 
But the owner of a business or an employer or somebody in a leader, if you are blessed by God to be in a leadership position at your place of work, you ought to exemplify the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Your behavior as a boss should never be a stumbling block for you are introducing them to Jesus Christ. Amen. It, it, we, we can boil it all down to a very simple statement. Love your neighbor as thyself. And when you remember that your boss is your neighbor, your coworker is your neighbor, your employee is your neighbor, on this and on loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. And we're going to wrap up with this portion of Scripture. Uh, maybe next week we'll bring back Robert Morris. I heard that. When I read this, this week, it, it challenged me a little bit, or last week, it challenged me a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1, reading now from the New Living Translation, it says this, All slaves should show full respect for their masters, so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. Again, it's, it's what we've been establishing. Poor performance in the workplace, dishonesty in the workplace will bring shame on the name of God. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. If you're wondering why we're going through this tonight, it's because the Bible specifically commands us to teach these things. He goes on in verse 3 and says, Now some people may contradict our teaching, but there are the wholesome teachings, or they are the Lord, the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of God, God does not owe you anything just because you walk in truth. You are wealthy if you have a revelation of the gospel and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I hope somebody believes that. Look, if, if you're in this place today and you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are the richest person in this world. Why? Because your sins were washed away and you are laying hold on eternal life. 
I, I wish that would cause somebody to get a little bit excited because, look, if, if we get focused and we get our eyes off of that and we start thinking that because we're walking in faith, God somehow owes us a better job or a better place of employment, we're missing the point entirely. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm the richest man that will ever wash, walk the face of this earth. Uh, it doesn't matter if I make $10 an hour, 20 or $100 an hour hour. I'm going to cross through a gate of pearl and walk down a street of gold. A hundred dollars an hour is never going to buy you a street of gold. Only a life of obedience and sacrifice for the gospel is going to buy you a gate of pearl and a street of gold. You, it doesn't matter how much you make. You can't purchase a, a mansion in heaven. It's only through obedience to the gospel. You are richer than you have any understanding of. You're far more wealthy just because you know Jesus. Your house, your car, your bank account, these are all a poor indicator of status with Jesus Christ. Do not look at somebody that is financially well-to-do and think that somehow Jesus loves them more than you because you're rubbing two pennies together at the end of the week. That's a lie from hell. It's prosperity doctrine, and it is not true. It does not matter if you're just scraping by your entire life. If you've lived a life in obedience to the gospel, you are wealthy. You are rich towards God, and you will receive a reward. Uh, you will receive a reward, uh, and that should stir some gratitude inside of you. Uh, and so instead of always complaining uh, about what you don't have or the money you didn't make uh, or the money you don't have in the retirement fund, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus and remember, uh, I do have a little bit of food in my belly, uh, and if I don't, I know where I can go. Uh, but uh, I've got a hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and I... I'm rich because true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. If you will not be content, it will never matter the amount of your salary. We live in a culture, we live in a country where we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even really like. We have to sever that. We have to break that and be content to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. You can be content even in the job you currently have if your definition of self isn't wrapped up in what you do to put bread on the table. Find your identity in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, and I'm sorry, I'm taking a little longer. Are we doing okay still? Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, Jesus is in his hometown and he, they begin to ask, isn't this the carpenter's son? They were so focused on his identity of who he was, they limited Jesus to the carpenter's son. And they missed out on the fact that he was God's son. We do the same thing to ourselves when we allow our temporal appointment, employment rather, to be our defining trait. And we beat ourselves up because it seems like our life hasn't amounted to anything. Or it seems like Joe Schmo, who's engaged in all sorts of wickedness, is advancing. No, you are rich because you're the son, you're the daughter of God. And find contentment in that. Don't complain about your job. Thank God that you have a job. 
You see, we cannot miss the fact that Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The very price exacted in the Old Testament law if somebody's slave was accidentally killed, you would pay the master 30 pieces of silver. The king of all kings took on himself the form of a servant. Verse 7 of 1 Timothy, it says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That word content is archaeo in the Greek. It means to be satisfactory, be enough, suffice, or be sufficient. It's the same word that's translated in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 19 where Jesus tells Paul that my grace is sufficient for thee. You'll be a lot more content if you allow his grace to be enough in your life. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let's all stand together in this place. We are striving, we are striving to walk according to biblical instruction. And the Bible is pretty clear about how employees, employers, servants, and masters to allow God's grace to be enough, we will find contentment in whatever state we find ourselves in. To pound a point home and probably beat a dead horse. Do not take your identity from what you do. Derive your identity from who you are. You're a blood-bought, Jesus-name-baptized child of God. And that says all that it needs to say in the eyes of God. The square footage of your house the year of your automobile, or how many hundreds of thousands of miles are racked up on your odometer, do not define your worth. They do not define your worth. But when you walk into that workplace tomorrow, you walk in as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You walk in as the joint heir of the promises of God with Jesus Christ. And you walk in as the example of Jesus to this world. Your work at your employ place of employment is shining a light into this world. And it has to rest on us to be Jesus to our employer.